Well, hey there, Cornwall Church, and welcome to the weekend to you here in Bellingham, uh, to those at our Skagit campus, our community sites, and to those joining and attending church online. It's great to welcome you. Next weekend, Pastor Bob will kick off our fall series as we look at the puzzle of parables. Pastor Bob, Pastor Kip, and myself unlocking and revealing uh, Jesus' teaching through parables, uh, well-known and lesser known. So that'll begin next week. That'll take us up to the Advent season. Um, as for this weekend, Pastor Bob is not here. He's actually down in Oregon running his 16th Portland Marathon. And uh, this marathon began back in 1972. It makes it one of the longest running consecutive races in the United States. An estimated 10,000 runners will race in the Portland Marathon this weekend. Now, of course, the quintessential endurance race is the marathon, and it can be traced back to Greece in 1896. And even today, it remains the standard to challenge a runner's endurance. You know, speaking of, did you hear about that marathon runner who got thrown in jail? Yeah, he was resisting arrest. Yeah, I should just stick with the preaching. Okay. <laughs> Moving along quickly, we'll edit that out. The truth is, the Portland Marathon, or any marathon, you can't go from the couch to the race course. To race, you must be in shape. And to be in shape, you must train. And to train well, you must master endurance. Endurance is, get this for a definition, the practice or ability to withstand hardship, stress, or adversity for an extended period of time. In this case, for a marathon runner, that's 26.2 miles. That's a lot of running. The good news is Jesus doesn't call us all to be marathoners, thank you, Lord, but he does call us all to run. And I'll tell you this, at a time of social and emotional and spiritual fatigue, we are still called to endure and continue running even when it might be easier to give up. Endurance is something that touches all facets of your life. It's not just for sports. It's in your family. It's in your marriage. It's in your workplace, your parenting, your personal self-soul care. And for those following Jesus, we have a hope and a reason to keep running that race set before us all the way to the finish line. Now, Hebrews 12 gives us the most simple yet detailed picture of how it is we are called to run. But before we dive into the text, there are two disclaimers. Number one, the figurative picture that Paul is going to paint for us is one around athleticism. It's around running and endurance. For the non-bobs and the non-ragnar runners of the room, know this. Yes, there is physical endurance all about your body and your mind, your strength and your training. But I'm way more interested today in your spiritual endurance. That's Holy Spirit-based. That's all about your heart and your mind, your head, your faith, your walk with Jesus. And for runners and non-runners alike, that is what we're talking about today. Second disclaimer is this, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've likely heard someone at some time preach on this passage. And so for you, let me say this, again, in a time of social, emotional, 
and spiritual fatigue, you might need this encouragement today more than you think. So, having said that, let's dive in. Hebrews 12 begins like this. Therefore, actually stop there. You know how Pastor Bob, Pastor Kip, and I all have our words and phrases. For Pastor Kip, it's the geeking out and greeking out. For Pastor Bob, it's the, I wish I had more time for this. And for me, I love this word, therefore, because anytime I see it, I want to ask you to ask the question, why is there a therefore there? It's a highly applicable question because what it is is more than just filler. That word is asking you to reference backwards. What I've just written about, therefore, it's a reminder for us, the reader, to ensure that we have the context. And in this case, that therefore is having us point backwards. The preceding chapter in Hebrews is the Hall of Fame chapter, speaking about those that showcased amazing faith in the Old Testament, those of like Noah and Abraham and Moses. So Paul is not just name dropping here. He's being very deliberate and intentional with saying, therefore, keep them in mind. We'll find out why in a moment. So in other words, that therefore is in light of what I've said, then this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The setting here is being described of one of athletic nature, taking you to a place of competition. This is Lumen Field. Now, I had a chance to be at Lumen Field on its opening day for a, a tour uh, of the, the, the seats and the locker rooms and the field itself. Now, I've been to Husky Stadium. I've been on the ground there at the Kingdom, but nothing compared to being on the turf at Lumen Field. The skyscrapers peeking over the top, the thousands of seats, the open sky above, and there was something special about being on the 50-yard line at Lumen Field, then Seahawks Stadium, that caused me to wonder, what would it be like what would it sound like? What would it feel like to have thousands upon thousands of people rooting me on? People just shouting my name. I imagine it would be similar to a musician or a band uh, performing to a, a huge crowd or an actor performing on stage in front of a sold-out audience. Committed, enthusiastic, excited fans wanting your best and rooting you on. That's exactly what Paul is wanting us to visualize here. Much like the 12s show up for the Seahawks, we too have faithful fans. You and I, we have faithful fans. Now, the Greeks frequently use this word cloud to express a great number of something. And in this case, it's people, a great number of people. So in this cloud of witnesses... Who were these people? In fact, if you take the word witnesses, the actual literal translation is testifiers in Greek. So what he's saying is these men that filled the stands, this cloud of witnesses, were living testimonies of people with great faith that have been there and done that. Paul is suggesting here the stands are filled with those mentioned in the therefore, in the previous chapter. Consider Noah and Abraham and Moses having front row seats as committed, enthusiastic, excited fans. Imagine as you're running, Noah yells out, hey, there'll be naysayers. 
keep running. Or Abraham saying, never say never, just keep running. Or Joseph saying, there will be roadblocks, but God's got a path just for you, keep running. You see, this cloud of witnesses weren't cheering for touchdowns. They wanted these new believers to be rooted on. They wanted their best for their faith. They were more than spectators. They were examples. So they fill the front row of the stands. But my question would be, who fills the second row? Who fills the second row right behind them, those spiritual all-stars in your life that have also found a place in your cheering section? Those that are also watching and cheering you on, encouraging you, inspiring you in your faith journey. For me, my second row is is a combination of those with past racing experience and those that are racing just a little bit ahead of me. Pastors and mentors and certainly my late grandma Lois. Man, I loved her so much. And she probably, there in the second row, has a bowl of salty popcorn, her favorite snack, cheering me on. Brian, you can do it. Brian, get back up. Brian, you can do one more lap. You see, in my personal faith journey, I have those that are cheering me on in my great moments and encouraging me in my not-so-great moments. Most athletes will tell you they play smarter, they swing harder, and they run faster when they have fans in the stands. And for those running the race with Jesus, we do too. Paul continues, Because of this incredible cheering section that we have, what? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Focusing on those first two words real quick. Let us. Let us. This is an invitation. The us here is referring to those Hebrews that have made a profession in Christ a casual one, but have not made that full commitment in their faith journey. In other words, he's saying, let us. It's an invitation. Join us. Let's go. Get off the sidelines. Let's run. Let's run together. And let us what? Let us throw off everything that hinders. The literal translation here is let us lay aside any weight. Well, this makes sense, right? I mean, you can't imagine like Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, swimming in a three-piece suit. It'd be ridiculous to have Pastor Bob running the Portland Marathon, carrying bowling balls as he went. To run without anything that hinders means we have to willingly, intentionally shed off anything that will hold us down or hold us back. Fun fact. Back in the Greek games, in the early Greek games, athletes would wear little to no clothing so there'd be no hindrance in their racing. Clarity, runners, I'm not asking you to do that, okay? Here's what I am asking you to do. Identify what it is that helps you go another lap, what helps you find that sustainable pace, what encourages you to dig a little deeper, what provides you that glimpse of that kingdom reward, what assures you that running this race over and over is worth it? And then conversely, identify what drags you down, what takes you off course, what interrupts your faith rhythms, what prevents you from a growing in your spiritual walk. 
And once you've identified all that hinders, all that weighs you down, then what? Throw it to the side. Get rid of it. Shed the weight. Now, I get that's easier said than done. Paul gets it too. It's why he's very specific He has a call out, and it's for our benefit. He first addresses the easy hindrances. These are the easy known ones, right? Like our to-do list, our busyness, our obligation, the everyday life occurrences. But wait, there's more. You see, not all hindrances are sin, but all sin are hindrances. Let me say that one more time. Not all things that hinder us are sin, but all things sin are hindrances. For example, procrastination on its own can be a hindrance, but not necessarily a sin, but that's the slippery slope. That's where we can get easily entangled. When procrastination leads to idle time, which leads to bad choices, we get in trouble. When busyness leads to a lack of God time, and that creates distance, we get in trouble. When routine leads to pride, and that leads to a lack of humility, we get in trouble. And this can happen without you and I even noticing it. It's why he uses the word easily. It can happen so easily. No Christ follower joins the Jesus club to easily walk away, to destroy their testimony, to become distant. But so easily, sin can derail our best efforts. So the the directive then is to focus in on the race at hand and get rid of anything that will distract, derail, or weigh us down. Just like bulky clothes would hinder a racer, our sin can hinder our racing. So know the difference, what helps and what hurts your spiritual running, because Satan makes it far too easy for the little things to trip us up. Hebrews 12 continues this way. Therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by a great cloud, we've got the idea of throwing everything away, the things that easily entangle us, then what? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So with our faithful fans in the stands and our hindrances tossed to the side, and after preparing to run, it's time to go. It's time to run and run and run and run and keep running. You know how we all have our worst nightmare, and for some, it's getting stuck in an elevator. For others, it's getting stuck on It's a Small World. For me... It's running to run nonstop. I've actually had nightmares where I've been on a treadmill or I've just been running with no end in sight, no finish line. I can run short distances. It doesn't mean I like to run because I don't. And I certainly don't like the idea of running at nauseum. And yet as a Christ follower, it's exactly what I've signed up for, to spiritually run and run and run until Jesus sets up the finish line and I get to run through the tape. Albert Einstein said this, endurance is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you have to keep moving. So until then, I'm just going to keep on running with perseverance and building up my endurance. With that light at the end of the tunnel, the words, the race marked out for us. 
the race marked out for us. It means we aren't running aimlessly. We're not running aimlessly. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians this exact idea. He'd say, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. He knew this was going to be one of our concerns. And so he said, I do not run like someone who is running without purpose. We are running a race marked out for us. This is good news. We are running with a hope. Several years ago, we had a high school student in our youth group who was an amazing cross-country runner. And if you've not been to a cross-country meet, they are a bit confusing for us non-runners. We're there at the start line, we cheer on them going, and then we like stand there for 20 minutes. And then they come back around to the finish line, we cheer some more. I remember asking Daniel after the race, like, after you take off from the start line, what do you do? Where do you go? Where are you running? Are you running aimlessly? And this is what he said to me. He said, running aimlessly would make me feel constantly worried about being lost, while running a set course allows me to focus on the game plan, the race course, and gives me a better mindset to accomplish my goal. You see, running to run isn't sustainable. Running to run is without goal. Running to run is without a plan or purpose. And that kind of race can be exhausting. Good news, God doesn't call you to that kind of race. In fact, he says, lace up, let's go, race towards me. It will never be hopeless. It will never be aimless. He says, let us run with perseverance, this race marked out for us. And then what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Maybe you've seen a greyhound race before. And as the dogs take off, they're all running, but they're racing after, they're focused in on this mechanical rabbit that circles the track over and over again. These greyhounds don't seem to be worried or bothered or distracted by anything else. The cheering people, the other dogs, they're just focused, fine focused on getting that rabbit. We are called to have that same locked-in, hyper-focused attentiveness We are called to fix our focus. Fix the focus. Most translations will say fixed. Some will say look or looking. But the subject of the reference is the same. Your eyeballs. We are called to fix, look with our eyes on one thing, and that's Jesus. It is easy, you don't need me telling you this, to fix your eyes of things of this world. My schedule, my career, my finances, my future finances, my family, uh, my kids, my kids' sports, my activities, how I look, how I feel, how much I make, et cetera, et cetera. So to fix my focus on Jesus in the midst of all that, it requires a choice, it requires a commitment, and a lot of hard work. But see, fixing my eyes on Jesus accomplishes a couple of things. It frees me up from distraction, and it keeps me running on course. Back in June of 2012, daredevil Nick Walenda was the first man to do this. He crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now, maybe you saw this because it was nationally televised that night. He began the tightrope walk at just after 10 o'clock Eastern time. And when he started walking on the tightrope across the falls, 
the wind was such and the mist was uh, coming off the falls in a way where his vision was distracted. It was blocked. He couldn't quite see the Canadian side of his destination. And so for about 10 minutes of the 30 minutes, it was this way. Okay, fast forward to the end. He makes it to the other side. And he comes down to be interviewed, and he said this. Because of the mist, I could not look down. I could not look left or right. I had to keep my focus and my eyes fixed ahead in front of me. You see, he had his eyes fixed intentionally. He had a fine focus, and we are called to do the same. You see, to run or to run without baggage or to run continuously on a path marked out for you with a focus on Jesus, it's possible. Jesus is the why and the who. He's the pioneer, the perfecter, the originator of our faith. Your version might even say that he is the author and finisher of our faith. That means Jesus is not just the why and the beginning. It means he's also at the end. He's at the finish line. In other words, the one who created the path that you're running right now is at the finish line waiting for you victoriously cross the finish line. What a cool image that is. And here's what's really great. There are so many occasions in the New Testament where Jesus says, do as I did, not do as I say. He's like, you know, loving hard people, I get that, I did it. Forgiving people, I get that, that's hard, I I did that too. Showing up for people when you don't, yep, I did that. Bringing in a stranger, I did that too. He's saying running and running and running and building up your spiritual endurance, yeah, I get that as well. And so the first half is all about the directive. Here's what I want you to do. And then Paul turns and says, but if you need to know, Jesus did it too. Take a look. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, Jesus endured, there's that word, he endured what? The cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gets endurance He gets the pain. He gets the time it requires. He patiently and willingly did ministry with people all the way to finishing out his calling on the cross for you. Remember that definition of endurance? Hardship, stress, adversity. He took on all three on our behalf. He took on the shame of the world, that punishment that was in no way due him, and following that, he found his proper place right there next to God. He gets what it's like to go through and run and run and run. And then it says this, consider him, Jesus, who what? Endured, there's the word again, such opposition from sinners So that, so that what? That you will not grow weary and lose heart. We often say from this platform, Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus has been where you've been. And here it is true. Paul is saying, I want you to run and keep running and run through the pain and run through the wondering. And if you need to know, Jesus did this too. And I tell you all this, why? So that you will not grow weary, you will not give up, you will not throw in the towel. When we get this comparison, it should re-energize our ability 
to run. You know, I remember back to junior high. I went to junior high in Federal Way. And as a seventh, eighth, and ninth grader, once a month, Mr. Nielsen, our PE teacher, would have us time the mile. This was like the worst day of the entire month for me. There were several times where I'm like, Mom, I'm not feeling good. She's like, it's the mile day, right? I'm like, yes, Mom. Didn't like the mile, but I remember distinctly, he would take us from the gym. We'd come down to the track. He'd gather us all up, and he'd say, ready, set, go. And you better start running. Like, and, and here's the thing. Lap one was like fun. You're catching up with friends. Like, how was your weekend? You want to trade baseball cards later? Okay, it's great. I mean, everyone's just having a great time on lap one. Then lap two happens, and my pace slowed a little bit. The show-offs, like, took off. I'm like, cool, see you later, dude. Uh, slow pokes, we're just going to be back here, being cool back here. And so we're running. That's lap two. And lap three is when I'm actually questioning life. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Brian, this is tunnel vision. Brian, you don't have asthma, but you can't breathe. I mean, this is lap three for me. And I remember lap three because in lap three is when I would hear, hear three words from Mr. Nielsen. As I was on one end of the track, on the other side, I would hear him shout out, gut check time. And I would remember he would actually put my name with it. Brian, it's gut check time. What it meant to me was he knew that I had a little more gas in the tank. What it told me was he was watching out for me. It told me he knew that I had a little bit more to give. He believed I could do it. And Mr. Nielsen was a great runner, so I knew he had run this race before. So he would yell out gut check time, and through the, the pain and the struggle and the perseverance before I knew it, I had crossed the finish line for that mile, for that month. You see, we're called to keep on running, to find that second wind. Endurance is an action word. It's why verse 3 ends with that, so what? We're called to be mindful that our race coach, Jesus, has endured ahead of us. And when we consider him, we ought to be able to battle our weariness and that desire to give up. This verse, that so that, can be our boost. See, here's what's incredible. The challenge placed in front of the Hebrews is the reality set before us today. Endurance is nothing new. Endurance is also something not easily attained. It is something you have to work at. So the question to consider is, how's your running going? How are you doing in your race? Can you say when, in regards to your running, what Paul said in Acts 20, 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. My only aim is to finish the race. Or 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are you in a place where you are running and running so you can say, I finished, I finished the race, I finished well? You see, others have raced ahead of you and won. And their crossing the finish line should be an encouragement for you as well. For us today, are you willing to endure? Are you willing to get in shape to persevere? Laps one and two are done. 
We are squarely in lap number three. So some thoughts for us. For us today, who makes up your cloud of witnesses? Who in this world is watching out for you? They're standing, they're sitting in the coliseum of your life, and they're cheering you on. They want you to succeed. They want you to finish well, persevere, grow in your faith, and keep on running spiritually. For us today, what do you need to throw off? What do you need to get rid of today, every day, this week, or even forever? What is weighing down your life, your heart, or your mind? Because whatever it is, avoid it, drop it, let it go, get it to the side. Paul doesn't mince words. He's like, if it's weighing you down, then get rid of it. Are you ready to run or are you tangled up in life stuff? Do you still have boots on when you need to have Nikes on? How is your running going? Are you tangled free? For us today, do you need blinders on? There's a reason horses wear blinders. There's a reason greyhounds run like this because they're fine focused. Do you need blinders today? And for us, do you find, can you find a comfort and a peace in oftentimes not knowing the race course set ahead of you? And yet knowing the race director, Jesus, he's got this course set just for you. It's just for you. And so when the hill seems insurmountable and the distance seems a little too long, can you find peace and be reminded that Jesus has raced your course and is cheering you on. Sean Farrell says this, that is the name of the game, endurance. You see, the Christian life isn't a sprint. It isn't a marathon. It is a sprinting marathon. It is ongoing action, intentional movement. Keep moving. According to the Boston Marathon Runner's Guide, Without proper endurance training, most runners will want to give up around the 20th mile. 20 out of 26 miles. For a runner that has not mastered endurance with just six miles to go, the body says, you're done. You can't go anymore. It's over. Perhaps today you're feeling like it's your 20th mile. Perhaps today you feel like you are on lap three. You're ready to toss in the towel. You are ready to give up. And I would guess you're not alone. You see, for 18 months, we have been running. We have been running through a global pandemic. We lived at home. We ate at home. We did school at home. We worked from home. We masked up. We canceled vacations. We canceled playdates. We did church online. And through it all, we stayed the course, we fixed our eyes, and we kept running. And then about the time that we thought we had reached the finish line, we discovered there's more race to run. There's more race to run. And so here we are. It's October, and we are still running. And I got to tell you, I'm tired. You might say, you're, you're, you're paid to be a pastor at Cornwall. You get to fill your, your soul and your life all the time with Jesus. You're right. And I'm also just a human that's tired. I am tired. I'm sure you're tired too. 
And maybe a break on the sidelines sounds pretty good right about now. And yet as a follower of Jesus, our endurance is to race the long distance, to keep our eyes focused and to keep on running. John MacArthur would say it this way, endurance is the steady determination to keep on going despite the temptation to give up. To engage our spiritual endurance is to make a renewed commitment day after day, maybe moment by moment, even when challenges and hardships come before us. It will require tolerating that side ache on lap number three and remaining steadfast even through criticism and discouraging odds. Romans 5.3, I love this. It says, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces, oh, hope. Suffering to endurance, endurance to character, character to hope. In the spring, I was at a a high school track meet. I remember being there in the stands, and one by one, I think it was the mile race, one by one, racers would come through the finish line and, and get their time recorded. And I thought at one point we had seen the last racer, and then off to my right I hear a slow clap start. And then soon that clapping gained some momentum, and then more people started clapping in the stands, and then that transcended down to the field. And before I knew it, this cloud of witnesses, of coaches, competitors, and parents were cheering on one final runner. I look off to the left about 200 yards out, And there she is running. And she looked how I felt on lap three of the mile. She looked exhausted. But here's what's awesome. She was running. She was running. And everybody saw it. And so as she made made it to that straightaway about 100 yards away, you could see her just change her demeanor as that whole place was applauding and cheering her on. We became a cheering section, a cloud of witnesses. We wanted the best for her. I'll tell you, I don't know her name. I don't know her story. I don't know her at all. I can tell you this, though. She wanted to finish those last 100 yards and finish them well. I don't know how long you've been racing in the Christian life. Maybe you made a decision for Christ as a kid. Maybe it was more recent than that. But the start line, the start time doesn't matter. The finish line does. Wherever you are on the track, we are on the same team. We are running the same race. Keep this in mind, though. Paul would write again to the Corinthians, and he'd say, run in such a way to get the prize. There's going to be a lot of runners out there, different motivations, but you run to get a crown that will last forever. Trophies will break and collect dust. You are running for a crown that will last forever. And therein lies the challenge. Run like it matters because it does. Run like it matters because it does. It matters to those in the stands that are rooting you on. It matters to those in your family and your support systems because as they spur and cheer you on, guess what? You are spurring them on too. It matters to those that are watching your race from afar, just wondering how your faith will fare when your endurance is tested. And it matters to the Lord who created your course. 
is coaching from the sidelines and occasionally yelling out to you, gut check time. Here's the bottom line. Three very simple verses in the book of Hebrews boils down to this summary. Consider your cheering section rooting you on, throwing aside anything that will hinder your racing, running a predetermined course, fixing my eyes on Jesus and realizing he's done this before. All that so that I can run. I can run with confidence with endurance, with perseverance, with passion, understanding, excitement, and a commitment to finish the race well.